Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today we are way behind on our um, uh, episodes. I had planned to do an episode back in September and it is now uh, December 8th. So I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> but seeing that we are now staring down the barrel of uh, the end of the year, I figured I would uh, hop on while I am running some errands and uh, do a little bit of an update of uh, where we stand, talk a little bit about uh, end of year. It's not really a structure to this just yet, um, but we will, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, get with the episode and see what comes. All right, so in the time since our last, uh, we last visited uh, your viewer, our listener, I suppose, um, the, gosh, uh, the last thing I think I, we were doing was uh, some Rollmaster sessions before and uh, shortly after I got back from vacation in uh, mid-October. Uh, so right now uh, we have um, a couple, I mean, we have our regular ongoing games. The current slate on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel is uh, the, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. We've got our ongoing Night Below campaign that is being played on uh, Wednesdays. We have our ongoing Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game that is on Saturdays, and the Saturdays we don't play Ash. Uh, we have our uh, AD&D 2nd Edition uh, campaign playing um, Legacy of the Crystal Shard, which we've finally gotten back to. We've been sort of uh, um, sporadically playing it over the over the summer uh, just because of uh, we had very, very uh, uh, odd uh, availability from uh, players. So... Um, so that's where things uh, stand for our, our regular ongoing games, ones that have, uh, you know, a, a year or or more of, uh, you know, legs behind them. Um, for uh, less uh, long games or less lengthy games, we have uh, as well our uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition uh, campaign set in the world of Ravnica. Uh, that one is about... Uh, about three or four months old now, uh, and it's going really well. I, I'm... Uh, I, I had some difficulty getting my footing with that one, both with the difficulty, you know, scaling of difficulties with the game, because I don't run 5th edition very much, uh, and also um, figuring out what I wanted to do with that game, um, because I think what my initial plan, I, I threw it out the window and started sort of crafting something else on the on the fly, um, but I'm really happy with what's come together right now, where um, the characters are coming up on a... They have just gone through a pretty big reveal, and they're coming up on the sort of ending of the first... Uh, leg of the campaign and uh, or at least working towards that uh, and then that'll be interesting because we'll see our first level up for our characters and they're going to go from 5th to 6th level uh, in that. I'm, I'm really trying to make sure I'm uh, for at least for the milestone based games that I am not doing what I sometimes do which is uh, that I let the games languish a little longer uh, than is uh, necessary uh, with the characters staying at, at uh, a certain level. So uh the setting for that one is a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the players necessarily just because I thoroughly enjoy everyone I, I play games with or everyone I'm fortunate enough to play games with. So I, I uh, but I mean, obviously the, the caliber of role playing in that one is quite good uh, as well. And it's been a bit of a, um, what I decided to do with that one is, is present a bit of a mystery that is, involves the kind of deep lore of the setting. Uh, part of because we had mixed familiarity with the setting so there's some people who paid off from that and some people who I was hoping uh, would uh, were like where there I guess the, some people would be find extra benefit by virtue of having the um, the expanded uh, knowledge of the, of the setting and be able to contextualize stuff 
and then for other uh, players just to learn you know some of the cool things about the setting and how it all interacts because I do I, Ravnica for those who are not familiar with it is is the um, for fifth edition at D and D at least was presented in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica a, a book that kind of at least it, from what I can tell online sort of came and went without much fanfare uh, they did one kind of actual play session to sort of support it but then it kind of fell off the uh, off the the map. Um, in favor of some of the more D&D-focused uh, settings, but I, I really enjoy it because it feels like the setting itself is a massive planet-sized city uh, that has been functioning under a guild pact between, I think it's 10 different guilds, maybe it's 10 or 12 different guilds, but in any event, it's a bunch of different guilds that um, have, 10,000 years ago, signed a magical pact that prevented them from just going to war doesn't prevent them from still fucking around with each other, but it basically means that a bunch of um, factions that you would not expect to be working together are forced into close confines and forced to work together, and then given different areas of responsibility over this massive you know, city. So the campaign has brought our heroes together, and the mystery uh, at the root of it is a tower that appeared um, uh, under the uh, surface of this sort of abandoned district, and the discovery of the tower itself was a bit of a mystery. The history of this thing, it seems to date back to before the Guild Pact, um, and at least in this uh, sort of the secret records that are kept by one of the guilds, and uh, all guilds decided to sort of equally cooperate to try and explore this thing and, and uh, perhaps make use of it and make a plan for it. And the characters are in the in the midst of doing that. They've learned some stuff about the um, the tower by virtue of some of its denizens. And I won't spoil anything further uh, in the event that you want to uh, enjoy the actual campaign because it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, for D&D Fifth uh, in general, one of the the only real rules changes that we have made have been to um, let's see here. I I'm using Astonishing Fortune as I often do a narrative meta currency. Uh, though for, for 5th edition, what I do is uh, I allow the players to... Uh, buddy, could you quick cut me off here? Um, I allow the players to uh, spend one point to roll with advantage, uh, like you do in 5th edition, or to spend uh, two points to re-roll a dice roll. So they got a ch- chance to either you know, um, make a, uh, a change beforehand uh, or to, uh, you know, to decide that um, they want to... Uh, re-roll a dice roll. Uh, I give them a number of astonishing fortune equal to double the number of players. So, you know, if they play it, I guess, you know, smart uh, and try and make sure they're making use of advantage when they can, uh, they can make that stuff go a little further. Uh, If they are not, uh, then it just gives them the same amount of re-rolls effectively that they get in previous editions or other versions of the game that I uh, play with. I also have uh, the same mechanic where they can spend two points of astonishing fortune and not die something I use in uh, all my uh, games that make use of that narrative meta currency. And the uh, so the game thus far has been... Uh, oh, and the other change I made was that um, short rests only take five minutes. Uh, f- yeah, five minutes for, for them to catch their breath. Uh, I made that change because I ran 4th edition for a very, very long time, and I that's how it was in 4th edition, was just, you know, you need a moment to catch breath. And, uh, and I really like it because it allows me to have more... Uh, visceral combats, uh, I think, or, or at least more uh, frequent combats without ha- the characters feeling that they're getting their, their stuff exhausted. In that particular campaign, the characters are 5th level. Uh, they started at 5th level, and uh, 
yeah, hopefully they'll, barring any sort of uh, unforeseen uh, cataclysm, they will be reaching um, fifth or sixth level uh, shortly. So that's uh, pretty exciting. Um, we also have a new ongoing game playing that uh, I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but it's a fan-made uh, hack of fifth edition for playing with the World of Warcraft. Uh, since I last ran that game, actually, it's not true. I've run it once with the current set of uh, the fan rules, but it's a shit ton of fun. It's a really good, um, really good set of rules for capturing the real feel of the. Uh, of the classes from Warcraft in a 5th edition context. I, I use the exact same optional rules with uh, shorter, short rest, and uh, with Astonishing Fortune in that game. Uh, but we recently had something happen that I've never had happen before in a 5th edition game, and that was a player fatality. So uh, it was just one of those um, encounters where, you know, it was a random encounter that came up. The numbers weren't necessarily... Uh, against the the players as far as like you know challenge rating or anything like that it just it worked out that um, the the difficulty of this particular encounter was scaled up dramatically because the players just didn't have a lot of there's one character who's a, a pacifist character in that campaign so he's not contributing damage each round and was just sort of there to keep healing but he was taking damage as well too so it made it difficult for him to you know uh, prioritize his uh, heals um we also had just a bunch of very small things that happened to get advantage when they were fighting together. I didn't plan it to be as deadly as it uh, as it was, but it certainly, uh, you know, uh, it presented a very difficult challenge uh, for the players. They it was a real nail biter right up to the end, and to the fact that where the character died, it was after a death save um, at the last five minutes of the session. And they'd unfortunately run out of Astonishing Fortune by that point, and it just, you know, the the sort of, the circumstances merited that someone couldn't get to them within the necessary round, so they were one round off from saving them, and then the character died. Um, it was, the player took it incredibly well. I think one of the, the other players took it worse than what uh, the the player of the, of the now-dead character took it, but it was, you know... Um, it was pretty cool. I mean, it, it was not... I certainly did not plan that. And I don't ever plan for, uh, you know, character fatalities. But uh, it's not something we shy away from in our games. And, um, you know, it uh, it just... That's sort of the way things went for, for that particular game in that particular session. And, um, yeah. Um, it's been... Um, that game as well, too. I was sort of kind of finding my legs with it. We have a rotating cast on that game, so... It means that um, we don't necessarily have the same players uh, playing each time. Um, so it, it sometimes requires me to do a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of uh, rejigging on the fly for like difficulties or things like that. Uh, but because in fifth edition, I've found in the past that you can really it's very easy to, to present a very, very, very challenging uh, un, uh, an unintendedly challenging encounter in that edition. So. I have, um, yeah, so I've been doing that, but I've recently figured out what I wanted to do with that, uh, you know, with that game, and given the players we've got, the the characters, and sort of the setting, my setting is uh, going to be, or the setting for the campaign at least, is uh, in uh, Westfall in uh, in the World of Warcraft. So it's a, a sort of lawless land near uh, Stormwind, the Kingdom of Stormwind, and the way that we're I've described it as sort of like a, you know, Wild West kind of place. There's 
some, um, you know, marshals who are out there trying to bring kind of frontier justice. There's massive organized crime. There's a bunch of different uh, other threats. And then I'm also introducing something else, too, that dives again into kind of the deep lore of uh, World of Warcraft. I really love when I'm when I'm taking advantage of uh, licensed settings like this stuff. I really do like to sort of pick something that I really like from the uh, setting and then really explore it. Um that's on our Sundays, or sorry, Sunday, that's on our Fridays. Uh, Sundays have been uh, the Ravnica game, uh, or we've been recently playing uh, Cult Divinity Lost again, and that's a really, really, really good game. It's um, it's uh, one of the Power by the Apocalypse-inspired games, so it's a more of a story game than a straight-up um, traditional role-playing game, but it's, man, what a great game. It, it The time flies by... Uh, the only thing I, the only comment I would have with it is I sometimes, um, it, it requires a more preparation than what I expect and in a different way. And, uh, I'll maybe try and talk about that in the next segment, uh, a little bit more, uh, about what, what I've, what my experience has been like with the story games, uh, because it's been for cult divinity loss, at least overwhelmingly positive, but anyway, let's, um, we'll pause this maybe uh, section here. And then we'll talk a little bit about my experience with story games, in particular with Cult. All right, so next topic is um, the uh, challenge with, um, I mean, just say not the challenge, but the, uh, the different approach I, I need to take with uh, story games. So for those who aren't familiar with the uh, story games in general, uh, or at least with uh, Cult Divinity Lost, uh, the game that I'm going to talk about, um, the games, one of the ways that the games differ is that uh, you don't have like a full-on simulationist experience when you're playing those games. It is not a matter of like, uh, I do X and then I roll to see if I'm successful at X. It is more a matter of when when the players take action in the fiction through their characters, what they do is uh, they uh, choose from a list of moves and uh, I think there are certain games where they have different names for them, but for the most part, that's the nomenclature that's used in Power by the Apocalypse games. Um, what a move is, uh, is a, uh, an action taken by the character that will, one way or another, change the fiction, change what the situation is in the story. And uh, they can be, you know, as, as straightforward as and as uh, easily understandable as, like, you know, um, uh, engage in violence or harm, uh, or it can be as esoteric as like, um, trying to think what are the more esoteric ones. Oh, uh, um, do something risky, you know, or risky move, or I can't, I can't remember to be honest what the moves are in uh, cult offhand. But the, um, the reason I mentioned, uh, cult is cultist, it, it, it is a little closer to a traditional game than what uh, some of the other um, story games are, uh, because it has a, uh, it has, for one, it's got, you know, uh, attributes or stats that you would recognize from a regular, like a, a, sta- a traditional game, not regular, but a traditional uh, role-playing game, and may- it also has effectively like a hit point mechanic that is just straight, uh, you know, you take X amount of these things and then you are injured or out or whatever. So there's a little bit of a, a framework to a more understandable, um, or not understandable, but more uh, recognizable as a traditional game, but it still re- 
requires, or not requires, but it enables an enormous amount of flexibility. The other cool thing with uh, Cult that is a little different from some of the other Power by the Apocalypse games that I've played, or at least the story games, is that it has kind of a more traditional uh, build mechanic for your characters as well. You don't like pick from a playbook and go from there. There is an archetype involved, but uh, there's a lot of traditional RPGs that have an archetype system. But what you do is you pick an archetype, and then you also pick, um, which I think are called talents. Um, in fact, in fact, remember their advantages. In any event, what they are is um, cool things that your character can do that other people can't. So it's things like, you know, contacts or special abilities or whatnot. Some of them will um, it will open the possibility of new moves as well too to do things that other characters cannot do. And the neat thing with the moves is that there is always an outcome. There's always something interesting that changes the story. It's not just a matter of attack and miss, attack and miss. Like if you try and engage in violence and you're unsuccessful, you may be subject to a harm. Um, the Just like players and their characters, the um, DM or the, the storyteller or whatever it's called in, in cult, and cult leader is I think what I've been jokingly calling it, um, the, the game um, allows the... GM uh, to then take an action and like the GM can also do other things with the game that are they, they are ritual they are not ritual to do but they are you know set out formally in, in the rules as to what you can and cannot do you know with your actions um, and when the, the DM can interact with it but it's, it's a pretty loose mechanic it's not as I find with some of the other uh, story games they oddly they the structure for how the narrative is supposed to f flow feels a little more restricting and uh, non-intuitive uh, than what cult does cult it seems like there are there's a little more um, it's a little easier for players or traditional games to wrap their heads around things one other neat thing that the game does is it at the start of each session uh, you get to decide the players get to decide things they would like to see happen in the game as well, which is, you know, things like they want to see the players confront an aspect of their story from before, or they want to, uh, I don't know, um, they want to uh, explore, you know, a, a certain aspect of their of their character. And the interesting thing about that is that it really gives, uh, for a DM who likes to improvise like I do, uh, it, it does give of interesting kind of like last minute cues. It's kind of like uh, almost like improv where you're getting, you know, suggestions put to you and then for the next you know, two, three, four hours, you're going to be potentially exploring those things. And, and the players are the ones who largely drive the, the action in the story. So it's, it's a cool way of incentivizing that. And the reason or the way, I guess, that it incentivizes is by giving you experience points. You get XP if you successfully explore those things. So it's a uh, it's a really cool game. Like there's every there's a lot of stuff I like about it. The one thing I found um, is that I think having an eye on the the bigger picture, like the bigger picture story, you you less need to worry about what's happening in a given session and you more need to plan for uh, the eventual you know, the, the long road or the, the long game. The game, it does a really great job of, um, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's trivia, 
But unplanned activities can easily make up an entire session and have it a thoroughly enjoyable session because every time the characters make a move or the DM makes a move, it changes things. So like there is always something interesting that's happening and it is more often than not something you didn't anticipate. So it's, it's really a different experience than what you get from a more traditional game where you know, you know what's in X room or you've sort of thought through what characters will do. The downside is, is that if you, we did have a new character added, and I found that I was scrambling a little bit to figure out how to fit that character in. Um, so it was not a, a problem with the game. It's that we had a really, we started the game off. Uh, by the end of the session, I felt like the characters were really well integrated, and we had a sense of who these characters were. But I, um, I did find myself sort of scrambling to figure out what was going to be happening from one scene to another, and I did not find that uh, before. The we were to have. Our most recent session of Cult uh, this past Sunday, but unfortunately I had tech issues. I had my my USB splitter funny uh, shit the bed. Uh, I knew that that was coming, so I really should have uh, planned for that and got a replacement ahead of time. But what are you gonna do? You know. Uh, so um, I uh, we didn't have our last session, and for that session I was very very prepared to uh, to incorporate that character and to really drive the story forward. It's a I love the game, honestly. Like I just, I, I've explored the setting a little more now, and and the things that I have been uncomfortable with, uh, because it's a horror game that has really takes the rails off. Like it, it is uh, the safety rails off. It is a very extreme uh, game in some sense, but it's not hard to keep the stuff that you are uncomfortable with out. And I mentioned on this this on the actual game stream, but. Uh, and this I was wrong. There's some very good rules for safety tools and for like rule of X and stuff like that in the in the game. So um, the game is very easily, uh, you know, fine tunable. To you can you can tune it to fit the sensibilities at your table. It, it, but it is uh, honestly was one of my my favorite games I've I've run. Uh, every time I've gone back to it, I've enjoyed it more. And now that we've got some time with the, you know, uh, characters with some some life behind them. And I guess that's the other thing, is that because the characters are getting XP at the end of each session, I feel like the sense of mechanical progression that I feel lacking sometimes from some games, you really get that in this game. It's, it's a terrific, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it's just an awesome game. It's really, players get, a, not only do they get to advance the story, they also get a chance to um, to see their characters change mechanically they get to mechanically they get to pick new cool abilities like those advantages that I mentioned which are just freaking awesome like lots and lots of fun turn off buddy there we go um the yeah it's just a great game I'm really really enjoying it and very very character focused which I, I really enjoy as well too and and I I thought for a very brief time that maybe this wasn't you know the game wouldn't be uh scary and I am completely disavowed of that concern right now I feel like the game does a really really great job and and also does a good job of incorporating the um, what do you call it uh, supernatural abilities or different abilities for characters because one of the characters in our game has uh, by virtue of his, his backstory he sort of has this this ability to tap into his um, otherworldly awareness like which is akin to madness it just it doesn't Accord, like in a Lovecraftian kind of like knowing too much about the real workings of the world kind of stuff, and he can share that with other characters as kind of an attack, and it's it, it's 
been very, very cool. Uh, yeah, so that game has been, uh, it was a surprise. We sort of picked it up to decide to, you know, um, kind of tinker with it for, for an evening because we weren't ready to start on our next game. That game, that day we started playing Cult was the day that we were playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition. And uh, uh, because of uh, a unfortunate turn of events in that campaign, we have, uh, uh, we've ended that, that adventure. Uh, but I'm going to, maybe I'll talk about that next, but Cult has been just a shit ton of fun. Like, I really, really enjoy that game. It's it's a game I want to run for more people, too. Like, I just, to share the experience, because it's such a, uh, for myself, uh, who doesn't run a lot of story games, it's a really great middle ground, and the subject matter is really cool, and character creation is really cool, and it just is an enormous amount of fun. So, all, all around, I mean, the game just has uh, a overall ringing endorsement for me. Uh, I mentioned that Cult was what was taking the place of our um, Warhammer Fantasy 2nd Edition uh, campaign, and that's uh, because our Warhammer game <laughs> had an uh, unfortunate uh, end, which Warhammers often want to do, but, you know, it's um, that game as well. Uh, I have uh, wanted to return to classic Warhammer to Warhammer 1st or 2nd edition for a really long time. I've run Warhammer Fantasy 4th edition, and it's a really, really, really great game, but I find that it, um, when I ran it, it was, or rather, it felt very busy mechanically. Like, there was a lot uh, going on uh, in that that game that uh, just, I I felt almost a little too much for, for a game like Warhammer. Uh, so, um, but I mean, I, uh, I wanted to get, to, I had been uh, collecting the, uh, second edition books, uh, over the past couple of years. And I decided I, I wanted to give, if I was going to run Warhammer, I'd run that. And it was, man, like great character generation, really fun sessions up until sort of when things took a turn. And even that one was a lot of fun. Like it felt appropriate. Like it felt like it felt Warhammer, you know. Uh, so I, uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, the, um, what else? Uh, I mean, the game uh, is. I while we did have a, you know, kind of tragic end to the story, or at least a War Warhammer appropriate ending. It's one of the games. Like as soon as we wrapped up I, and I thought about it afterwards I was immediately like I really can't wait to, to run this again yeah, the game is, is really really good and I um, the character generation is a lot of fun there's so many things that I have not explored uh, in terms of the setting in terms of the uh, uh, the you know uh, characters um, the yeah just oh, everything about that game was a, a ton of fun I love the uh, dark fantasy kind of like exploration you know, investigative meets um, thrilling violence kind of aspect of it. it. It fit the bill for sort of what I was expecting from um, what do you call it? From uh, The Witcher. Uh, but uh, yeah, really, really great game. Um, and I think that's that's where. Oh, and, and we like we enjoyed it enough that when we were playing, I, I really sort of. Uh, uh, decided I wanted to run one of my Warhammer Fantasy, or sorry, Warhammer 40k games afterwards. Cause I enjoyed the system so much, and uh, I, you know, the Fantasy Flight versions of the Warhammer 40k games are very similar to in uh, mechanics to to the uh, second edition game. 
And I really wanted to give them a try, so we were going to run Death Watch, and then we started running Cult, and it just has been so much fun that I figured we would run that one through to the end of the story that we've been playing, and then after that, we'll go and uh, and try uh, one of the 40K games. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really cannot say enough good things. And I, I think that there, there's really not a huge amount of difference between the two. I think the uh, experience points and the advancements are a little uh, simplified in 2nd edition as, as compared to 4th uh, edition. And there's less uh, narrative metacurrencies that you're dealing with. There's four of them, I believe, in uh, whatever 40K. And there's only two in 2nd uh, um, in edition. 2nd uh, edition, just the, the sensibilities of the books... Uh, are I just I, I really really enjoy them. Um, so it's uh, yeah I mean I, I definitely want to get that game back to the table. But it's you know there's a lot of games that are that way. But this one definitely was one of my highlights. It, it was a game that I've been wanting to run for a very long time and just it was as good as I expected. So anyway, so that's um, the games that we've had on the go. I've also run. Let's see here. We've had some one shots that have been very very good as well. The uh, let's see here, adventure war the uh, classic white wolf game from the Trinity line of games. There's three games. There were uh, tr- let's see here, uh, Aeon, no Trinity, um, uh, Aberrant, and Adventure. There were three games released at the end of the '90s, uh, coming early and then early into the 2000s. And the game we ran was Adventure. It was a pulp game that uh, was. Uh, set in, let's see here, uh, the kind of 1930s, I decided to throw some of the setting material out uh, when I was prepping my uh, material for it, but it has been just, wow, what a a great game. Like, it really fit the uh, pulp sensibilities. The mechanics uh, worked very good. A week before that, I had, or a couple weeks before that, I had run... Warhammer, not Warhammer, Werewolf the Apocalypse, the 20th anniversary edition, and I found that one to be not great, only because it, um, I felt that it went very slowly. Uh, There's a lot of dice rolls in that game, like you're rolling to make your attack roll. In combat is what I mean, so there's like initiative each round, Uh, there is attack rolls, there's defense rolls, there's damage rolls, there's soak rolls, so just like, there's a lot of fucking dice rolls and every one of them is a dice pool and you're looking for variable numbers of variable target numbers so it's not like it's not unmanageable it just it's a very busy uh system and i for someone who's impatient like me it doesn't keep the um the tempo going as well as i would like i think with uh, some system familiarity we would get better at it and certainly using a mechanical or a um um, automatic dice roller that certainly made a huge difference, uh, but overall, it just like, oh dang, it was a very very slow going game, and um, yeah, I uh, I didn't well, I wasn't crazy about it. Adve- Adventure uses the second iteration of the storyteller uh, system, uh, so with, with a lot of um, like default uh, target numbers for certain things, and uh, there's less rolling back and forth for things, so. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed running it. I, I would definitely run Adventure again. It made me really want to run uh, Aberrant. Uh, and and I definitely maybe even want to explore Trinity. So that was great. And the joke we had when we ran that game was, boy, I enjoyed that game so much. Um, 
I really would uh, be, uh, I wouldn't want to be the game that follows it up, which was Acton Cthulhu 2D20. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that I'm a huge fan of, of uh, Acton Cthulhu. Uh, and I, or not actually, of the 2D20 system, and I'm also a fan of uh, the Acton Cthulhu, the original uh, products. But uh, we had so much fun with Adventure. I was like, oh, I don't know, like, this is going to be a tough one to, uh, to top. And uh, then we played Acton Cthulhu. And holy shit, was it, was it a great game? Oh my goodness. I, I had so much fun prepping that game. The Acton Cthulhu 2D20 is, as as said, is based on the um, 2D20 mechanic. You know, maybe let's save this for a separate uh, a separate section. I'm going to deal with this in a separate um, segment because, I mean, it's, boy, it really deserves its own uh, its own time. All right, let's talk about Acton Cthulhu 2D20. So, um, as I mentioned in the previous segment, I am a big fan of the 2D20 system. I've, I've enjoyed uh, every game to varying degrees in, in some cases that has come out for the 2D20 game that I've run thus far. Everything I've read on the games I have not run has looked pretty cool. Uh, but for whatever reason, it, I guess there was just other things on my desk at the time. I uh, think Cthulhu 2D20 when it came out, it wasn't really blowing my socks off. At least it wasn't something that was eagerly anticipated on my part. Um, and then I... Uh, uh, I had recently re- requested that uh, the players um, give us uh, the roster players from the channel. Um, let me know what games that we have not played uh, that uh, they'd be interested in seeing in the new, either end of year or you know uh, into uh, the new year. And uh, one of the games that was requested was Acton Cthulhu 2D20. So I, I, was, I got it back on the schedule and then started looking at it again. And man, oh man, oh man, uh, that is a really good game like it it has for those who are familiar with the 2d20 system um i would characterize the each of the games um as different levels of complexity in them uh, by virtue of how many extra sort of implementations of the same core mechanic that you get so for instance um i guess first off for task resolution in the games if you're not familiar with it you roll a starting pool of 2d6 for all main characters, like player characters or, or significant uh, NPCs. And then what you can do is you can spend narrative metacurrencies to increase the uh, number of dice you roll up to a maximum of five dice. That's true across all of them. And then you can also get an extra dice into the uh, from someone else, um, but someone else rolls that and it is them assisting you. So that's the core mechanic. What you want to roll is the number of your stat plus your skill or less. And then if you roll that, you get a success. And then if you happen to roll a natural one, in most of the games, that also means you get two successes. If you roll a 20 on any of those dice, it results in, uh, I think, what is almost always called a complication, if not always. I don't remember the nomenclature across all the different games because they do change certain things, but there are certain things that remain true. One of them is momentum, which is if you roll more successes than is necessary, you generate what's called momentum. That momentum is another narrative metacurrency that you can use to buy different effects with your roll. Like if you're trying to charm someone, maybe it's an extra bit of information or they become even more enamored of you. If you're investigating, it's more information. If it's combat, it's more damage or some other neat effect like a piercing effect that'll um, you know get through armor or 
knock someone down or, you know, make a second attack with an offhand weapon or whatever. Lots of neat ways. And then there's also a mechanic that this one does not have the same name across each game. It's sometimes called Heat, sometimes called Threat, sometimes called Doom. Doom is my favorite. Um, that is the best name for it, but I respect each game for its own way. What the reason I like Doom so much is because it is the narrative meta currency that comes to the DM. DM gets to use it to re-roll dice rolls for uh, you know adversaries or add new ones if the scene uh, uh, permits that kind of stuff. So it's just a really fun back and forth. Players can also give you more Doom or Threat or Heat to get extra dice themselves. Uh, so in addition to spending momentum to get extra dice. So it's just a, a really flexible uh, mechanic and I've had a lot of fun with the games that I have run, even ones I haven't run as well as I thought I could have. Infinity is the one that I don't think I did a very good job of, uh, of running it, but I have had a lot of fun with uh, the Conan 2D20 game and uh, Star Trek Adventures. So we're um, in the grand scheme of the D20, 2D20 system, the most complex game probably is either Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition or Infinity, followed shortly thereafter by Conan. Conan has a lot of moving bits in it. There's, there's a couple of different kinds of narrative metacurrency. There's a couple of different kinds of injuries you can sustain. So, like, there's, a, there's, enough, there's a lot to the game. Um, it definitely, all that uh, added complexity gives the game the you know, the grit or oomph that it needs, I think, for to fit a sort of Conan-style, you know, uh, game uh, where it's going to be tactical and, like, each sword stroke or axe swing or whatnot is going to have consequence. Um, so it's good. I mean, it, it, the um, Conan's not unplayable. None of them, are, I think, are at the level of unplayable from the complexity, but those are the more complex end. and the least complex end, you've got games like Star Trek Adventures, which is much more abstracted, um, Dune, which is probably the most abstracted of all of them, um, and then around clustering around that less complex end is also the um, uh, Dishonored uh, RPG that they released, uh, based on the video games, and John Carter, which is based on the classic series of uh, novels and novellas and short stories and whatnot. So, um, where Acton Cthulhu 2D20 fits is almost like the midpoint because it's it's very light on its feet. They've learned. Over the course of releasing so many games with the same system and tweaking it each time, the Modifius has been the publisher of the 2D20 games. It has been tweaking the thing and adding in new rules and new options and new kind of new ways to um, you know to implement the same core mechanic. Uh, you know, stealing ideas from story games or you know from uh, fourth edition D&D with skill challenges or or other kind of things. And um, the result is a really, like they took the best ideas from each of those t other 2D20 games and put them all in one, you know, one game. Best is obviously a subjective thing, so, you know, your mileage may vary on this, but for me, like, it, it moves really quickly, really supports fun narrative play, it steals some ideas of, um, you know, uh, of uh, giving mechanical meaning to in-game events, so things like, things like, uh, in, a, in some of the games, you can use your momentum spends to affect the scene and add in... In other games, have a variety of different names, but in this one, they, they boil it down to... And I forget what the, the name is. I think it's Label, maybe? I don't know. But anyway, the what they do is everything that is, is, um, is something that might affect a dice roll. So a situational modifier, be that 
something that is, you know, inherent to the scene, like the ambient light level, uh, or something that uh, is just reflective of your, uh, your specific character, like, you know, someone who was raised in a German home, say, you know, um, it gives you a very, very flexible tool for implementing all of those and, and gamifying all of those different things. And the clever thing is, is rather than having to write up a whole bunch of rules for like, you know, this level, the, you know, this device puts off this level of light, which gets rid of X amount of, uh, you know, darkness penalties, you can judge it on the fly for what is situationally appropriate, right? Like, let's say the characters have are in a scene where they are, uh, it's darkness, you know, there there is um, a tag for the scene uh, called, uh, uh, you know, um, darkest pitch, and we'll put it at, say, two. Darkest pitch two. Anything where darkest pitch two would come into play, which would be like spotting things or quickly navigating around a room or whatnot, uh, all those things would apply as a negative modifier, so it makes it harder to do those tasks. But if you're sneaking around, it'll make those tasks easier. So it um, that's just a tag that exists there, and then that interacts with other things. So let's say I want to judge the players. They don't have a flashlight on them. If they had a flashlight or a lantern, like a storm lantern or something, then that would get a, that would deal with that tag. They could ignore that tag because of the, the uh, light. But let's say they only can light a match. Well, then what I might say is, all right, well, it's only going to alleviate one level. That only gives you light one, which will counteract one level of the darkest night, you know, darkest pitch. Um, and I'll put a uh, timer. As soon as you roll a complication, it uh, it burns out. Or until, until I spend a complication, it burns out. And, like, that's the kind of flexibility you've got with it. And that can also be applied to, you know, we, we introduced a, a tag about lost love to add a complication to uh, the characters. Uh, an NPC and a player character. And um, it's just, I, I'm really, really impressed with what a what a good way that that uh, interacts with the core mechanic and uh, ex- also making it an obvious and express part of the gameplay. You know, if we were playing, um, all my games are played online, but if you played in person, you'd be writing that down on a note card and putting it in front of the players so they're always reminded of what is, uh, you know, what the situational tags are. And that just applies, you know, uh, to every other element of the game. Like, your characters will also start with certain kind of tags on them that, you know, they may be able to suggest as something that might apply. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a very, very, very light on its feet and fun game. It really makes me not only want to go back to every one of the 2D20 games and, and play more of those or run more of those, because uh, every time I've run Star Trek, uh, I I have not... Uh, we have, the last time I ran Star Trek was a really really fun session. I really enjoyed it, but I did railroad a fair amount uh, on that one, and I'd really like to see to run that game the way I run my other games, which is just kind of like let the story unfold at the pace that I feel is appropriate, as opposed to making sure it's done within four hours. Act on Cthulhu was very much like that. Like just as soon as we were done our session, I was I was sad that it was over, and I couldn't wait to play again. That's in part because of again like the excellent players they did a terrific job of taking advantage of those mechanics and really playing their characters well um but it also comes down to wanting to um you know uh wanting to have a um um yeah i don't know i mean like having a a a good solid game basis from which to to draw so um 
that, I guess, uh, you know, I, I think that Acton Cthulhu is my, f- right now, my favorite of the 2D20 games. Um, because it just, for me, it fits this perfect balance of a little bit of the complexity that you get from uh, uh, Conan, because Conan has more, like a lot of the things it does to differ, uh, differentiate weapons from one another uh, is carried over into this. So like your your you know pistol, your Luger will feel different from a Walter PPK, which will feel different from a, you know, f- like machine gun, you know, uh, and... Uh, at the same time, a lot of the other parts of the game are very light on its feet, closer to what, um, you know, games like Dishonored or, um, yes, uh, Dishonored or, uh, uh, what's the game, or Star Trek Adventures or uh, John Carter. So, um, and of course, like, it's just, it's a fun game where you get to run around punch Nazis too, so like, that's, that's never a, a, a bad, uh, never a bad time. Definitely, after going into it with the expectation that I was like, well, it's going to fare unfavorably to Adventure, because Adventure is just the better, you know, um, overall uh, pulp game. Uh, I think that what my new, what my finding is now, or my my uh, judgment is now, is that Adventure is def- is a better powered pulp game whereas this is a, I think if you want to go for the Indiana Jones style vibe, I cannot think of a game that would do a better job uh, than Act on Cthulhu 2D20. At the very least it would certainly do no worse of a job than any other game. It just the way that the 2D20 mechanic works, and it does it's such a good job of capturing a cinematic and exa- exciting feel to the game um, the rules they've got for different kinds of tasks like structuring uh, long term tasks like extended you know skill things that you're doing over time um, for countdown tasks which is a new thing to me uh, from that one they were they you know you only have a certain amount of time before something triggers or progressively worse triggers will happen as you're trying to achieve something uh, that's been, I mean, they've had uh, skill challenges like that before in some of the two D20 games, but I've never seen something like this in any of the um, 2D20 core books. So it's a, it's a really cool way of, of giving you really uh, an enormous amount of tools to give game me- uh, mechanics to a lot of different uh, parts of the gameplay without making it into just a, like a hit point thing, you know? Um, and the use of tags to very easily put concrete modifiers in and the ease with which characters can make that stuff. Uh, you know, they can make tags to benefit them going forward too. Like, um, you know, one character might want to, uh, I don't know, use some social skills to establish a, uh, a long-term contact that they've had there. Uh, and if they're successful in their role, they can do that shit. And then in a place that you're trying to track down information... Um, or whatever. That's just, I mean, the example that kind of came, sprang to mind right now. But um, the game is just, it, it facilitates an enormous amount of uh, creativity on the part of the players. And I, and it reminds me a lot of the things that I like about the story games, like my positive experience with Cult, but taken in a very different direction and certainly more, uh, more con- concretely... Um, codified for 
the simulation part of it. It's more of a simulationist experience than uh, than the the more freeform story game. That's not either a bad or, or good thing necessarily. It's just a thing, but it um, definitely uh, man, great great game, and it makes me want. I really, really, really wish um, that somebody was working on a superhero game based on the 2D20 system uh, because, my goodness, I enjoy that game enormously and I think that uh, the the mechanic has been great for so many different kinds of uh, gameplay and I think that a, yeah, like... I think you could make there would be you would need to make a use or, or make it um, yeah make use of some mechanical tricks and some slice of hand with a system to make some of the game play work. But having read the original version of, of uh, Aberrant and having now read the new version of uh, the Storypath version of Aberrant, I think that there is definitely uh, you definitely could make use of uh, those rules uh, to do that and. Uh, really make a, a solid um, what do you call it? a solid uh, RPG uh, superhero RPG based on those mechanics that would make that would play very cinematically and fun at the table so uh, anyway that's my thoughts on, on uh, Act on Cthulhu which is just a shower more and more and more praise on it love that game uh, really I cannot wait to run that again if you haven't checked it out there is a quick start for it uh, and it's a pretty good one too so it gives a good sense of what the game's about um and gives you a chance to, you know, run a game so that your players can punch some Nazis. I can't remember if you can run the quick start rules without the uh, core mechanics. I think you can, because I think it was out before the actual uh, the core rulebook was out. But in any event, uh, really, really great game. Uh, if you're a fan of uh, alternate history, World War II kind of stuff, uh, or if you are looking for a game to capture kind of a pulp flavor, or you like the 2D20 games in general... I just want to see what the newest one is like. I, I really cannot recommend the game enough. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So that's it for Action Cthulhu. Okay, so for this last segment, I thought I'd just talk about some grab bag stuff, just some uh, games that are upcoming, um, and just some other stuff that's, uh, that's happening right now. So this weekend, I will be running uh, one shot of, in addition to our regular games, of, of uh, Star Wars Saga Edition RPG. That's the the last version of the Star Wars RPG released by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, now, I've, I've enjoyed uh, all the different versions of Star Wars that I, I have read. Oh, excuse me, my goodness, how rude. Um, including uh, West End Games most recently, I finally... Got that one to the table last year, uh, thanks to uh, my buddy George's uh, help on that, because uh, he was a designer on the, or I think he was the lead designer, actually, on the uh, second edition, uh, an, or expanded version, whatever, the version that had the big Darth Vader head on the cover. Um, in any event, uh, it, it's a, that's a really cool system. The Fantasy Flights Games one, uh, I, I still have a lot of fondness for it. Um, I just, I think that at, I know how that game uh, plays it at higher levels, and I, it was, I was not crazy about it, and uh, I, I guess it's because we run so many second or um, D twenty games, maybe. Uh, but I don't know why I'm making having to make excuses for it. But I'm really, really, really enjoying um, Saga. I've only I have run it a couple of times in the past, uh, and I have. Uh, <laughs> 
I ran it uh, last year as well uh, for a one-shot, two, uh, two one-shots actually, and they, uh, getting ready for this uh, one-shot has uh, me diving back into the rules again, and it, man, I'm really, really, really enjoying the uh, the game I'm finding uh, in there, so uh, I think that in the new year, I, I need to reconsider uh, how, you know, uh, trying to get um, Star Wars uh, RPGs to the table uh, more often than once, you know, once a year. It's once a year for Star Trek and once a year for Star Wars, apparently. Um, I've also been poking, this has been on my to-do list for at least a year now, but um, the Witcher RPG from uh, Artel Sorian uh, is one of the coolest games I've, I've read this year. Uh, 2021 has seen a couple of really great games. I don't I actually don't remember what year The Witcher came out initially, if it was this year or if it was last year, because it's just, you know, it's all blending into one. I think it was, I think The Witcher's core rulebook may have come out pre-pandemic, actually, now that I think of it, because I think I saw it in the store when I was still going to the store uh, for, uh, for it. So maybe it's actually longer than that, but um, it's a game I haven't run on a an actual, you know, uh, full session uh, basis yet. We've just done some care gen for it, but it looks really, really great. And the one f- big kind of like monster fight we did run was really, really, really good. It left an enormously good impression on me. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that one plays like. It's it's one of those games that I really feel like uh, the players are likely to really, really love it once we uh, we get going. Um, Simba Room also is another game I've, I've dug off my shelf just because I, I've only run one session of that, uh, earlier this year. Sorry, that was Anna wants to tell me, oh, she likes Simba Room too. I know, sweetie. I know. Noisy girl. Um, Simba Room was, was a really interesting game. Not only because, I mean, that dark fantasy setting it has is, uh, is definitely, I mean, I'm a fan of that kind of dark Oh, content anyway, but um, the the idea of the players rolling everything uh, is a really great one, and I I just have not found a way for uh, the major you know uh, make players roll things game, which is the cipher system. I just have not had that grok for me yet. Um, I maybe need to try running it again uh, to. See if I can get myself more familiar with it, but I just, uh, I found, mm, I like the idea of, of, uh, players rolling all day instead of me. Oh, Cult does that as well, actually, now that I think of it. Um, but, uh, Simbury was also a really cool setting. It was, it was a really interesting session that we, uh, we had. It's a, it's a pretty cool game and, uh, it's tough when you've got so many great fantasy games on the, on the, on the roster. Sorry, the growling in the background would be and a banana. Okay, okay. Um, so that uh, Witcher and uh, Simba Room are both on the roster. Jackals, which came out, I believe, in 2021 uh, as well. Jackals, the uh, Bronze Age fantasy RPG by uh, J.M. Defogey, remains one of my favorite games that I've uh, uh, encountered this year. Um, I It's another one of those ones where I, I just... I. I've, every time I see it, I'm like, why, why are we not playing this more often? Because it is a really great game. Uh, so that one I would expect to see again. Um, I One of my uh, Christmas reading list books uh, are the rest of the books for um, Lex Occultum, a really cool uh, 18th century uh, 
RPG or an RPG from the creators of Troop Van Chronicles from, uh, from Riot Mines, uh, who uh, created this really like conspiracy heavy game of horror and investigation is set and intrigue set in the um uh, i believe 18th century and it's awesome it's one of the best looking uh i shouldn't say best looking. it's all subjective but one of my favorite uh looking uh games uh just really really moody and and dark fantasy I, i've described it before as kind of like what i had hoped that 7th c would be like which is to say, you know, uh, some magic and some fantasy and whatnot in the setting, but um, a more, uh, I guess, gritty kind of uh, setting. And it is, uh, yeah, that that looks really cool. I, I have, I started reading it earlier this year, and just it's it's a very dense and interesting read. But it's, um, I'm going to try and take a pass at that again. Um, one game that um, I did. Spend, speaking of vacation reading, uh, D-Genesis. Uh, we've seen some pretty unfortunate news from that front, uh, and that is the... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, D-Genesis, uh, a game published by... Uh, post-apocalyptic uh, game published by uh, Six More Vodka uh, has unfortunately announced that they are no longer producing anything for it. Uh, the last books came out uh, about a month ago at the time of recording, and they are selling off their stock and just kind of leaving it behind. Uh, it's not quite clear whether the, are, the PDFs are going to remain online uh, or not. Um, but it's unfortunate seeing... I mean, you never want to see a game come to an end. Uh, it, and kind of added insult to injury with it was that I had actually brought that game back as my planned reading uh, when I was uh, home over the holidays. And I was deep, deep into that in, in my reread of the core books and getting into the expansion for... Justicium, uh, when the news broke, and that that kind of uh, sucks. Normally, I mean, I don't really, I'm I'm not happy to see a, a game line end uh, by any means. But you know, it, I run plenty of out of print games, and you know, if a game line ends, I, I don't really, in the mo for the most part, usually care. Um, it it's unfortunate not seeing more gaming products from uh, from a game that I that you like, uh, but you know, I I can make do with. Um, certain things, and, and for instance, with Star Wars Saga, I love that there's a set line. I love that there's a set of books that are that represent the entire game, and it, uh, for by all appearances, seems like the designers had that in mind that they were going to release a set series of books and then be done with it. Um, because it was at the tail end of the, of the uh, Wizards of the Coast license with uh, Lucasfilm, and uh, it's uh, it's. You know, th those are, are great. Did Genesis, uh, the reason I, uh, or one of the reasons I lament the end is because it's a very, very unique setting uh, with a very specific voice for the mysteries that are going on there. Like, there's still, the, it's one of those games that, like a lot of stuff in the 90s, um, they or a lot of uh, RPGs in the 90s, they would reveal stuff as the books are released. Room does that as well. It's one of the reasons why both of those games are pretty interesting things to, you know, to read and, and, and learn about the setting and learn about the secrets of the setting and whatnot. And there are many things that are just not going to be answered by Six More Vodka. And you're, of course, free to make your own things up. Uh, and, you know, in theory, someone else could pick up the IP and continue on with it. But because the game is so 
much a creation with one specific authorial voice to it. It really is... I don't really care what someone else has to say, to be honest. Like, it's it's not one of those things where I, I need someone else to, you know, be filming in things. It also, you know, it that relates to the authors being such phenomenal artists as well because they were able to put not only their uh, world into words, they're also into pictures. And they did a terrific job of really providing lots of great illustrations that give you a sense of what that world is like. So for that reason, I mean, I was a little, uh, I had a little bit of the enthusiasm uh, from that taken out of my sails, with the wind taken out of my sails uh, because of the cancellation of the line. It's still great reading, and I still have, uh, I filled out my collection of, of stuff knowing that the game was going to go out of print altogether. Um, the other thing is, is I went online um, as well just to, when I was, thinking about getting ready to run a one-shot for it. And um, the fan base for Degenesis is kind of horrifying in some quarters. Like, astonishingly racist, in a 50s kind of way, horrifying. And it's certainly not everybody um, of the, uh, you know, um, of the Degenesis community. Um, and I... I hesitate to say it's not even most like I, I did have relatively good interactions with some people on the degenesis uh, discord server um the thing is though is like it does not take you that long to stumble across some stuff where uh it's like whew, it is really hardcore uh racists that are uh fans of this of, of that game and in particular certain aspects I don't know, it just, it you know, with, as someone who runs a lot of old school D&D uh, on the channel, I certainly come across my share of uh, of bigots in, uh, you know, the course of my, I've, I, for instance, it was one of our uh, uh, old school videos that we had to uh, ban someone with a Third Reich name, um, <laughs> or a name referencing the Third Reich. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no strangers to online uh, bigotry, but uh, boy, oh boy, like, uh because I, I uh, stream so many of my games, it, it's one of the things you weigh, you weigh in is like, well, who's the audience beyond our, you know, our channel's audience who may be joining in on this and ugh, like the, the idea of having to delete so many comments and block so many people. If, uh, if we ran it uh, as a regular thing that, that it's not certainly the deciding factor and not even a major factor, but it is a factor. And, uh, it's an unfortunate one for, uh, uh, for the game, but in any event, I mean, it, I think the Genesis um, will definitely serve as one of the most beautiful looking and uh, impressive accomplishments in RPG creation in, in terms of creating a very, very, very specific and unique and interesting world to game in. It's, I find the game, I, I can understand why the game is, is uh, may not be for everyone. Uh, there's certainly a lot of a very, very, um, uh, shocking uh, uh content uh, in the uh in the game but uh i man it's it's one of those games that is is going to have left a lasting impression even if i never get it to the table again which which hope isn't the case um but um but yeah so I'll pour one out for uh degenesis the uh, soon to be departed uh terrific uh, post apocalyptic rpg published by 
Six more vodka. Very, very well done, folks. And uh, the game definitely... I will miss uh, seeing what future releases come from it. Um, the other things, I guess, um, in coming in the uh, coming year, um, I have been poking at um, a little bit at uh, Starfinder. Although I think I need, um, I, I need there needs to be something to really, you know, put a fire under me to to get that one going because I keep pu pulling those books off the shelf and poking at them a bit and then put them away. Uh, Pathfinder Two, we have actually a one shot coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, just before the holidays, uh, to celebrate the two-year anniversary of our Night Below campaign. And I, having uh, you know, taken a dive back into that game, and in particular, having taken a look at the two most recent uh, sourcebook releases for it, which were the Secrets of Magic book that introduced um, second edition versions of the Magus and Summoner classes, in addition to some other cool stuff for Magic, uh, and the Guns and Gears book, which introduced or reintroduced the uh, Gunslinger class and the, um, what do you call it, In introduced a brand new class called the Inventor uh, into it. Uh, Secrets of Magic, I I've been looking forward to seeing the Magus uh, for second edition for quite some time because it's one of my favorite classes from uh, first edition Pathfinder. And uh, it really doesn't disappoint. It's a very, very cool class it is definitely a uh, a step up in terms of complexity for characters like it's got more going on uh in, in it mechanically that you need to keeping uh, you know keep track of there is a you know variety of different levels of complexity with pathfinder 2 characters uh in terms of like resources you need to track on a around around basis all right sweetie so we're playing tug of war as i record um and, but uh, the Magus sort of takes that, I think, up a next step. I, I'm hard-pressed to think of another class. I think maybe the uh, some of the classes from the Advanced Player's Guide, like the Duelist uh, and the Investigator to a lesser degree. Uh, the Alchemist probably is, is a, a commensurate level of uh, complexity, but it's, it's a great implementation, and there's some really cool variations where you're not just playing <clears throat> Magic Spellcaster like a Gish with... or a Warrior Spellcaster like a Gish with, uh, with just a, you know, um, sword and then a light armor. Like, there's really cool variations of two, you know, two-handers, uh, like using a big two-handed weapon, um, using a weapon in each hand, uh, and then the traditional sort of, you know, uh, fighting on the fly, and then also a uh, range attack one as well, too. So really, some really good variety of, um, of different versions of the Magus. And uh, I could even think, like, I... If you substituted in the uh, divine spell list instead of the arcane spell list, you'd be getting a pretty decent version of the runesmith, uh, the or the runesmith, the um, rune priest from uh, fourth edition D and D. It's not quite the same, but it, you could definitely build something really, really close to that, which would be pretty fucking cool. Because I love, I love me my rune priest. That's my favorite class from. Uh, Second edition or from uh, fourth edition D and D, had a lot of fun playing one. Uh, and then Guns and Gear uh, has uh, Gunslinger, likewise, has a huge amount of uh, versatility uh, to to it, and they do a good job of implementing the Gunslinger into the new, the new edition. But the thing I actually like best out of that, which I was surprised by, is the Inventor class. It just it's a well, you the main sort of signature thing the Inventor does is uh, they get an invention and they pick either a uh, like a, a companion 
it's like a little robot of some kind or clockwork, whatever, uh, or a weapon or, or a suit of armor. And this reminds me of the, um, I can't remember what it's called, the engineer or something from uh, Starfinder, but it's just, I don't know why, but the, the, um, the versatility of that class and the ability to like craft stuff and like, you know, increase your, it feels like it's a, it's a more, uh, you know, uh, slow paced version of the alchemist in some ways where you can kind of also create a bunch of, uh, a bunch of really interesting, um, inventions and, and gear and shit like that during your downtime. And it's not, I, and I, it's a different approach to the, um, to the inventor ideal in a fantasy game than what the artificer is in 5e because the artificer is really just, it's a spellcaster and like you're just, you're reskinning a lot of your spells as, you know, technological items or quasi technological magical items, which is kind of how they've been handled in a lot of, uh, older, you know, uh, games as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Artificer, we got an Artificer in our, in our Ravnica game, and he's a pretty cool character, and I, we've had one in our uh, in an Eberron one-shot before as well, too. Great, like, really great game. Great to, uh, class. Just, I really, really like how this one is a non-magical inventor, you know? Like, there may be some magic involved in, like, creating these things, but it isn't like you're just a spellcaster who happens to put your shit through magic. And I, I honestly don't know whether... Whether there's been a uh, a similar class introduced in D and D at all uh, up until now, uh, and so you know, and, and Pathfinder Two really um, it it gives you the tool set you need for a class like that to actually work because they've got very comp comprehensive rules for a variety of different snares you can build and a variety of different you know uh, potions and other things. So like. There's things you can do. There's an existing infrastructure in, in the rules for what you can do with that. And um, I, it, it isn't a standout, like, uh, class in the way, like, I don't know, like um, a fighter is, you know, where they're an either damaging character or kind of a tanky, tanky character or, you know, like a cleric where there's a straight healer. They're definitely a, a niche kind of character, but it's... It just seems like it would be a shit ton of fun to play and give you lots to do and lots to plan in between. So I, I really, really like the implementation, in particular because it's not a magician. It's a neat way of kind of having a, a uh, non-magical, you know, uh, source of wonder and bizarre uh, objects that, that doesn't rely just on, on magic. So... So that's pretty cool. So I, I am really looking forward to... Uh, we're not using that stuff in our Night Below session, obviously, because, you know, there's not clockwork, you know, robots and guns and stuff in our Night Below campaign, at least not yet. Um, and uh, But I, I am looking forward to um, exploring some of that stuff in the new year and uh, running some of our more, you know, set-piece uh, type uh, encounters with uh, 5e lately has really got me itching for... Uh, to to see some of the you know some of that in um, Pathfinder two again too because Pathfinder two I think has been the closest that I've experienced to the kind of joy in designing set piece encounters I'm, by which I mean having interesting you know um, gamified mechanics in the in the terrain uh, or in the setting of the of the game expecting the characters are going to take advantage of that stuff uh, since I've uh, you know since I, I had um, run 4th edition AD&D, 4th edition D&D, excuse me, on a regular basis. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, 
so anyway, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some more PF2 back to the table. PF2 combat was always a, a shit ton of fun. And I guess the last one I'll mention is there's another 5th uh, edition hack for the setting of the League of Legends uh, video game. Now, I'm not a player for, of uh, League of Legends, at least I've never, you know, I, I've played it before, but I've never really been that much into it, neither was I really that much into the setting. Uh, but then Netflix's most recent, uh, or one of the most recent uh, animated series was a series called Arcane. And it absolutely blew my socks off. Like, just a gorgeous uh, animated show, great character work, and a fucking super cool setting. You know, I mean, it, my brain always takes everything and tries to make it into, you know, what what can I steal for an RPG setting? And, like, it's just a really, really cool, uh, sophisticated and modern setting and sophisticated in the sense that, uh, you know, there is, uh, there are political, you know, divisions and it's, there are more, um, complex social interactions between various power groups in the setting, uh, closer to like what a modern day setting would be than say a medieval fantasy setting. And uh, in addition to there being magic in the setting and non-humans, uh, there's also a uh, really interesting history there. Uh, there is some cool magic-fueled technology. And yeah, just it's really, really neat. And I w went poking online to see if I could find any uh, conversions uh, for it, like any uh, conversions to RPG. And I, what I found was this Brazilian fan-made... Uh, PDF, uh, or, well, I mean, to be honest, it's a whole role-playing game called Rune Arcana, R-U-N-A-R-C-A-N-A, -A -A. and, uh, they have an English language translation of their, of their work, um, from my understanding of it, it's, I don't, I don't speak or read, uh, uh Portuguese, so I, I can't read the original stuff, um, the English translation is a little, um, suspect in a couple of places where it's, um, like, you know, phrasings are just it seems as if they've been run through maybe Google Translate as opposed to a living person uh, translating them. But you can parse everything in there and there's some really clever ideas for implementing some of the stuff about the Rune Terra. So that's the name of the overall world that both the Arcane TV series and the League of Legends RPG takes place in. Uh, and not for nothing, there's actually a... Um, the uh, publisher of uh, League of Legends is working on a uh, massive multiplayer online RPG uh, set in there too, and like it because uh, League of Legends takes a lot of the similar uh, design um, sensibilities, like more of a cartoony approach to the design and using colors and and uh, things like that to distinguish um, settings and and whatnot. Um, it's it's coming out soon too. It's that's also kind of got me interested in in uh, the setting and, and whatnot. The game looks really 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 cool. It, it's very complex. It's even more complex than what the World of Warcraft hack is that we've been using. But um, it provides a huge amount of flexibility for designing really unique characters. Uh, the I it seems as if the design kind of. Uh, um, goal for the people behind it was to make sure you could build every single one of the like hundred and whatever champions that are in the game every one of them you could or most at least you could build as a character in uh, fifth edition D&D &D. so 
if uh, if you did enjoy Arcana, if you're a fan of League of Legends, or you did enjoy the Ar- Arcane um, TV show, uh, or if uh, just, just this sp- sparks your interest, definitely do a search for uh, for that. I think I did the search for League of Legends. Well, I posted a copy on, or either a copy or a link to the English language version on uh, our Discord server. But uh, if you're not going to go root around there, you can also uh, just do a Google search for Rune Arcana RPG or... Uh, League of Legends RPG or, you know, anything like that. And you should be able to track that down. If it uh, sounds interesting, it's a f- like a 470-plus page rulebook. So there's a huge amount of material. And uh, e- even if you don't like the the game or find the setting uh, all that interesting, uh, if, if you happen to be a 5e DM, there's still going to be there may be some ideas in there, even uh, like in particular for beefing up the difficulty of... Um, of monsters or making them more like boss monsters. Uh, there's some great ideas uh, in there. Obviously, you know, 5e has that legendary uh, action mechanic that uh, that helps with that. But there's some uh, alternate uh, ideas in uh, in that content. So anyway, so that's that. Um, games I, I did not get to the table uh, this year that I was hoping to. Uh, Champions Fourth uh, Edition. I really wanted to get that to the table, but I just am. Um, running out of weeks, and, and I just don't see it happening. It's also, honestly, not a game that, um, it's not a game that a lot of my players are really that keen on playing, and I, I don't like, um, I don't want to force anybody to play something that they're not really uh, keen on on playing, uh, particularly when I've got the opportunity to run a bunch of other stuff, but uh, I still would like to get that to the table at some point. Uh, DC Heroes, as well, I'd really like to get back to the table um, because it, it was really, uh, that was also really, really fun. The couple of times I've run it, um, I'm not a hundred, the more I think about DC heroes, uh, and this is the version from Mayfair games, second or third edition. Uh, <clears throat> the more I, I'm, I find that there was a lot of like that, that the way that that game works, you, because, um, you have access to a, a meta currency called hero points that you use to spend mechanics. There's a lot of like, weighing your options and deciding when you're spending that. And I feel like that might take away from the, what's supposed to feel like a really kinetic and exciting thing, like, you know, a superhero slugfest. Um, and I wonder whether it might just be better if I want to do a DC thing to just use Mutants and Masterminds third or DC Adventures, because that game is a, pretty good game. I'm not crazy about the save mechanic in it, but that's such a small thing and everything else in it works quite well. I also uh, am considering getting uh, uh, Aberrant uh, the, uh, because we had such a good time with Adventure, uh, the uh, uh, part of the, one of the Trinity uh, games. Uh, Aberrant is a modern day uh, superhero game uh, and it definitely has its own sensibilities and its own kind of like uh, like metaphysical setup and explanation for superheroes that I'm not, I, I don't mind, but it, it feels dated. Um, it, it's, it's one of these, like, um, let's find rational explanations for superpowers, things that was so popular in the eighties and nineties. And I don't, I don't really care about that shit anymore. I just think we're playing, I want to play a superhero game. I don't, I don't give a shit about having to justify it as, as uh, reality. But it's a really, like, we had a lot of fun with the system, so I bet you that would be great as well. And actually, that reminds me, uh, so that reminded me that I want to uh, try out the Story Path games in the new year. Uh, the In particular, uh, Scion 2nd Edition, 
the uh, Trinity core book, which is not, uh, so not including the superhero stuff or the pulp stuff from um, uh, either second edition Aberrant or second edition Adventure, respectively. Um, there's also a, a, a pair of these oddball horror games that came out. One of them is out already. One of them is still uh, in, only in early release. Um, the the original game was um, the uh, uh, they came from uh, beneath the sea, and it's just basically an attempt to try and capture the kind of fifties. You know, they came from that was a, like weird monsters from under the sea or aliens from under the sea or you know day of the triffids kind of stuff. Like it's kind of a fifties sci fi um, vibe, and it, it's. It looks like it'll be a lot of fun. Like, if, if there is a party version of an RPG, you know, kind of like what um, what Toon used to be, the Toon game from uh, um, Steve Jackson Games, uh, that game feels like that. And I, I remember reading about it when it came out. Now, it uh, it looked interesting, but it, it wasn't the, you know, didn't capture my attention enough to back the Kickstarter. Well, they're releasing a second in that line of games, and that's called They Came From Beyond the Grave. And this one is a similar kind of game using the story path system that tries to capture the feel of 70s horror films. Not both the uh, like the kind of English hammer horror films with uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula, um, but also like just the awful, you know, B-movie um, things. There's a great film called Devil's Reign uh, that came out in the 70s with Ernest Borgnine in it playing a... He's a cult leader, and William Shatner's in it in a supporting role. And uh, God, uh, who else is in that film? Um, uh, what's his name from uh, Alien? Um, Tom, uh, gosh, uh, I can't remember. Tom Skerritt? Is that what I'm thinking of? Anyway, uh, it's it's a the game looks like again. It, it's not something I, I think that would make for a ongoing uh, campaign. But I mean, if you wanted a a nice short couple of uh, games, a couple of sessions worth of something that's both equally scary and funny and whatnot uh um and not like not obnoxiously self-consciously cute funny like the way that the game is uh I, I think is funny um is the way the mechanics they give you for how you play the game and let me see if i can parse that out differently like i don't like intentional wackiness when uh, like forced jokes in encounters, it just it's kind of stuff that doesn't it just doesn't appeal to my sense of humor. Um, so if you've got you know I don't know um, uh, like a weird bore and all they are is just uh, a lycanthrope that is easily you know bored. Um, it's just not I don't know I mean like it, it, that kind of wackiness and. Uh, it's just not, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't like it. I, I like I like laughing, I like having, you know, um, I like things that are funny, but I don't like, I guess, you know, planned jokes like that. And the way that the this differs from uh, that kind of, like, intentional wackiness is there are, there's a game mechanic called quips, and you get a specific mechanical advantage for taking advantage of your quips and using them in, uh, in, in the play, like, as you're playing. I can't remember what the mechanic is. A little, little buff to your roll and then if you happen to roll a critical success there's some great other advantage you get from it but they are from a list of cards 
So you have a list of cards, like you're playing your character, but then you've also got these quips that are, part of them will be keyed to whatever sort of archetype of character you're playing. Like if you're playing a um, investigator, say like, uh, you know, your character is a sort of Holmesian thing, then this sort of like, you know, saying the game's afoot or something like that, maybe that will be your quip. So, um, in addition to that, you've also got like archetypical, uh, archetypical abilities and um, there's some fun mechanics called rewrites that you can use, which is basically just a narrative metacurrency to change the, the fiction like a lot of other ones do. They just give it a very specific cinematic kind of language to it. Uh, it all combines where it, it feels like it would be just a shit ton of fun at the table. In addition to playing kind of a spooky and scary game that, that uh, you know, is, has a very um, uh, kind of a, a, a goofy time setting for it in, in you know in the, that in retrospect the you know how set some of those b movies set movie uh b movies from the 70s can kind of look it also gives you these the tools that kind of encourage you to and incentivize the players to kind of be funny you know and and make use of these things it also allows everyone else to kind of feel comfortable and and be silly and i find that like the horror games that that seem to work best um alternate between that you know that you can't have um i don't think at least you, a, a horror game that is just unrelentingly grim because like you, if you're never having a, a chance to break in tone then you know continually drilling down on the grim and on the scary or eerie or whatnot just doesn't work you need to have that roller coaster of uh you know lighter moments and then darker moments and this allows you to have kind of have your cake and eat it too you get to have something that can be kind of fun and goofy at times um, and give even, or, you know, when, when it is scary, it gives that sort of like that, that um, cathartic relief for players to be able to play these funny, you know, quips um, and what, or whatever, you know, or their archetypical abilities and playing to the stereotypes of their character uh, to, to give the play experience a really fun kind of, uh, intentionally, um, I don't know, like an enjoyable performative uh, thing. Like I, I don't, can't think of any other game where you're encouraged to make use of certain specific, you know, one-liners. I, I actually did that in an old, um, Suicide Squad, uh, one shot where I had, it wasn't necessarily that the characters had to say things. Some of them had to say certain things, but some of them just had to do something, you know, like we, King Shark had to hilarious, the guy who was playing it, had to hilariously devour someone at some point in the session. And then it would generate a, another hero point for everybody. Um, Bizarro had to, uh, you know, every time that he would misinterpret the, um, or, or like credibly misinterpret the um, instructions or requests of the other players because they didn't do it in Bizarro speak, uh, you get a, you know, you get a point there, you get a, a hero point. And in this, this does a very similar thing where it sort of informs you to play your character in a very specific kind of way, but also it has, you know, it also functions as a pretty good, um, you know, a pretty good horror game as well, too. So like some of that stuff, The Exorcist, The Rosemary's Baby, like those are more the high production things. And it's definitely not necessarily the vibe that the thing is going for, but it, it definitely is lots of scary stuff that's in there, too. So. That one, I, I honestly, again, this is sort of like my like champions were like I think I'm the only one who may be interested in running this thing, but it's a it looks like it would be a shit ton of fun and uh, 
um, a Twitter friend I know has run, um, they came from beneath the sea and, and has had nothing but great things to say about it. So for a one shot of just, you know, f- kind of wild fun, if everyone's going into it with the same, uh, oh, and I will say that as well, the, um, roll 20, uh, character sheets for both, uh, they came from beneath the grave and they came from beneath the sea are phenomenal, like really, really good. Uh, a huge, to the point where you can draw cards, they have card decks that are customized with these quips on them. So very, very uh, well done stuff. And, and uh, I wish that the StoryPath game had something similar. It would make it easier to get that to the table. I think that's that's it. I mean, that that's there's a lot of games there that uh, are good, uh, kind of, uh, you know, on the cusp of getting to the table. And I'm looking forward to getting to the table. I probably have other ones, too, that I could talk about. But, I mean, uh, otherwise, I don't want to keep going yapping on and... Uh, particularly when I got a session, I got to prep for tonight. So I think let's uh, wrap this up and make it, uh, or make our way to the outro. All right. So there is another episode. So three months and <laughs> this is the last one. I, I am not sure if I'll be able to get another, uh, one of these done before I, uh, leave for vacation close to the end of the month. And then I'll be unfortunately, uh, not really in an environment where I can, uh, duck out and, and record another session or another uh, episode. So if this is the final one of the year, I do hope that uh, you all have a restful and relaxing and restorative rest over the uh, holidays, um, however long that uh, may be for you. Uh, I hope that uh, you have an opportunity to reconnect with the folks that uh, matter to you uh, and uh, perhaps to roll some dice and uh, play some games with them as well. Um, as is always the case, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode or anything else I've discussed in here, please do not hesitate to shoot me a voice message on Anchor, or you can uh, uh, shoot me an email at uh, uh, dungeonmusings at gmail.com. I'm way behind on my correspondence on that, but I will be get, getting caught up uh, shortly. Um, I f- I'm finally out of a crunch at work, so I uh, and leading up, I'm just kind of coasting through to the weekend or to the uh, holidays, so... I will have an opportunity to uh, to try and get caught up on that stuff. So please feel free to contact me there. Or you can find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. And you can find me four, d- uh, four days a week on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel as well, too. So you're more than welcome to join us over there. Though I'm not, I think there are very few people who are podcast listeners who are not already uh, over there uh, joining us in the shenanigans we get up to on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Um until next time then, uh, thank you again so much for listening. I uh, hope that you have found some of this illuminating and hopefully helpful. And until I see you again, or I guess until you hear me again, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy gaming.